0: Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com.
1: And now your host,
0: Lynn Cullen.
1: Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the program. It's the ultimate day of May. It's uh, the 31st. Tomorrow's June. June is busting out all over, all over the meadows and the hills. Buds are busting out on no is, and the working member pushes every little of the mill. Okay, what's the song for May? It's May, it's May, the lusty month of May. I know I can't carry a tune. Ah, blissfully astray. Okay, what's the April song? When April showers. May I come your way. Okay, what's I'm going back. What's the march song? Hmm. Hmm. I don't got no march song. Do I? All right, well, we did pretty good there with three. Is there anybody left out there? <laughs> First rule of broadcasting, especially if you're Lynn Cullen, do not begin the show singing because people will run run in droves anyway hi guys here we are again I don't mean to sound so there's a there's an undertone I can hear it in my voice sounding sort of like well no I'm not going to do it It, uh, the Washington Post today uh, online as as you go through every headline it's like one headline (laughs) is worse than the next I mean the the cumulative effect of just reading the headlines is a uh, massive depression. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It's just beyond parody. It is. So, let's not go there. Oh, I know what i got to do, and I can't do this. I can't forget the second time. Yesterday, I was wearing this, and I actually, rather than commit the terrible female crime wearing the same thing two days in a row I carried it here so I was wearing this yesterday and um, it's just a scarf but it's more than just a scarf I wanted to tell you about it um, it's an insect repellent scarf it actually has like EPA regulations noted on it's because of the whatever Whatever, probably carcinic, <laughs> carcinogenic kind of material I have wrapped around my neck right now. I, I I don't know, but ticks don't like it, and mosquitoes and jiggers don't like it. It says so. It's a new thing. It's called Insect Shield. I thought that was pretty neat because I I live in terror of Lyme disease. I I I've stopped even walking in the in Frick Park. <laughs> without mosquito netting encasing me. Um, So I wore it for the first time yesterday, and it it occurred to me at a red light, or as you say around here, red light, uh, that I wondered, given the fact that it is infused with some noxious chemical, how one is supposed to wash it. So I checked and found the little and here's what I saw I mean I I still can't believe what I saw (laughs) but I Amy's here and she'll back it up she saw it with her eyes too we both saw it so first of all it touts its, its lethal properties repellent apparel repels ticks ants mosquitoes flies jiggers midges repellency remains effective for 70 washings do not dry clean i said okay okay i got that but let's there's no way i'm going to wash a scarf 70 times i'm sorry um a scarf in my closet is lucky if it gets washed you know every f- 6 months so I, you know, flipped it over to see what you do to wash it. And instead, I got all the active ingredients, which have EPA regulation numbers, EPA this, EPA that. And then the first line that wasn't EPA stuff that is telling me how to wash it says this. I kid you not. I'm reading the fine print here. It says... Dispose of garment in trash. <laughs> I just had to share that with you because um, odds are you've never seen a similar instruction on one of these, right? The way to clean it is dispose of garment in trash. There's a second line. Well, you would think, I mean, dispose of garment and trash seems pretty, you know, well that's done. But no, it there's another line. So after you dispose of it in the trash, it says wash separately from other clothing. And then the only other thing is refer to hang tag for more information. What's a hang tag? I think they mean hashtag. No. This is a hang tag, right? This hangs and it's a tag. There aren't any others, so I'm looking at this. So after I dispose of it in the trash, I then wash it separately <laughs> and don't dry clean it. God. So then I thought, well, obviously, this has to be from some foreign country where they don't speak the language, and so, you know, you get those funny little things. But there's nowhere on here where it says the where it originates. Nowhere. That's the only hang tag. Man, I knew we were living in a you know throwaway society, but geez, if it gets dirty, you just throw it in a trash can. That's what it says. Okay, so there. I schlepped that all the way here to tell you that saying. And the other thing I have to tell you before we get down to the nitty gritty, depressing part of the program. <laughs> I'm only slightly hysterical today. Is um, I saw a uh, I went to the movies last night. This was a documentary, however. I've been doing a lot of documentaries, the Fred Rogers one, which comes out maybe next week. Yeah, and uh, and then this one last night, which has been out, and uh, I highly recommend. It's at the Manor Theater in Squirrel Hill. I don't know if it's elsewhere. Probably is. Maybe isn't. <laughs> R.B.G. The initials of the incomparable Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This is a delightful, informative history lesson, biography, and just all around good time. I mean, I laughed a lot in it. It was wondrous. Please, uh, treat yourself. If you listen to me, I don't see there's any way that you don't like uh, this doc. RBG. You know, I always I had some sense of her. I, I had a you know God knows and I want her to hang in there. Um, so that Trump doesn't get to destroy totally the Supreme Court. Um but wow you learn that how indispensable she has been for everything we think of as progress that has been made for women's equality. Every woman in this country owes that little woman such a debt of gratitude, and then some. From day one, that is where she has made her mark. And I'm speaking not just as a judge or a justice, but as an attorney, an appellate attorney, which is how she began her career, arguing uh, before the Supreme Court and all the laws that started to get rid of all the crap that held women back in terms of employment, in terms of uh, equal protection Mm -hmm. under the law, uh, she successfully argued in front of the Supreme Court. Um, In the documentary, it says that she, she argued in front of the court six times came away with victories five times. That's a hell of a record. And she's simply delightful. Extraordinary human being. So please, yeah, um, uh, Margie is saying that, yes, I, she loves it, loves her. Love, RBG. It, it, treat yourself. I'm serious. Treat yourself. Just being in her presence makes you feel hope, makes you feel that the world is always filled with possibilities, makes you see that you never stop. She's something. And they show her a few times doing her daily workout. i got to tell you, I work out sometimes. I couldn't do what she does. I could, she's amazing. That little woman, 84 years old, does push-ups, not girl push-ups, does. I can't. I've never in my life been able to do a push-up. My widow teeny women arms are just meh, meh, and my widow teeny wrists just, oh, feel like they're going to break. I just can't do it. Man, she's she's doing plank. She's doing this. She's going like this. She's going like that. She argues when the guy, her trainer, gives her something she says, "That's not it's not heavy enough." Unbelievable. Man, it's great she's on our side. We got a call. Hi caller. Hi Lynn. Hi.
0: Hey, yesterday you were talking about floats things that float and sink in your toilet.
1: Oh God no three days in a row I don't want to be... bring it
0: up again. Yeah,
1: okay, but, but you just did. It
0: it has to do with air and gas. Yeah. And different foods you eat. Right. It don't really have mean you have pancreatic cancer. Same way as if you have blood in your stool, it doesn't mean you have colon cancer. So that argument is and that's well, not me saying, that's doctors and scientists and all that. Yeah, but it could I to be. I will look it up, because I knew I heard different.
1: Oh, really? But what okay. I wanted
0: to talk about is...
1: You don't want to talk economy. about poop? Okay, all right.
0: No. This economy, mm-hmm. that, which is wonderful and doing so great, but it's 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 like something the Democrats and Republicans. The Republicans don't give a damn what you make, but the Democrats don't realize it could be a good economy, but... It, people are suffering because it's a low-wage economy. That's
1: right. Thank you.
0: rich-like. Thank you. It's a low-wage economy. There's very few good jobs, good-paying jobs. The benefits you're paying more and more. Right. But I read an article where a guy said in three to five years, how they know three to five years, a recession is coming. Now, I'm sitting to think, so I should mark it on my calendar, because they've planned this. I think they're going to crash it. I'm beginning to think that, and I thought this before, that when they want to crash it, they crash it. When they want it to go good, they let it go good. And I think that's what's going to go on again. And you were saying yesterday where where this country is going downhill. This country's been downhill. There's just one leg standing, and Trump's going to knock that fucking leg out. This country has been fucked up from the rich from the beginning. They've ruined everything. You look at health care, you look at anything, job, job security, it doesn't matter what it is, wars, everything. So we're pretty much there anyway. If he knocks the leg out, then we're done, Complete. completely. That's it, we're done. So that's how I feel about it. <laughs> I think if this guy stays <laughs> in here another four I, years, uh, he will knock that leg out, and we're done.
1: Okay. I'm I'm really that's not going to I'm not going to argue with you I, because not, no, not I'm not watch. going to because I you know I'm a, every bit as pessimistic as uh, as you are and I do agree everybody talking about the economy going gangbusters and you know uh <coughs> such low unemployment man no people aren't making any money the regular people no. these jo- low wage no. jobs that's what we got what that's is. what they produce now either low-wage jobs or ridiculously high-priced jo- high-paying high jobs, uh, just furthering this chasm between uh, haves and have-nots. No, I hear you. I hear you.
0: Yeah. The thing is, the Democrats don't get it, and Republicans, like I said, don't give a damn. Until the Democrats get that people are not just looking for jobs. They want good-paying jobs, but they don't get it. They never produce them. They just get more restaurants, more hotels, motels. All this low wage, uh,
1: like Trump run. Well, Don't I wonder. I deal. wonder if it's just the way the reality of global capitalism and a global economy, and the the good jobs that we used to have, the production jobs, they pretty much have flown the coop because they uh, can be done much cheaper someplace else. So we're left with this so-called service economy. I don't yeah. know. I, it's a bad I situation I, for us. I don't know
0: how we're going to get out of it. I mean, I think we're just going to go along like this.
1: Yeah. Well, thanks for your cheery uh, contribution.
0: Well, I'm not, I think there's a cheery thing we can get him out of there. Here, here. Take the house. And
1: here, here. Get it,
0: but I doubt that.
1: Maybe. Let's and do change it. Change some
0: things around.
1: Okay. Hey, okay. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Uh, Barbara says, I saw RBG at the Tull Theater in Sewickley. Um, loved it. There were only seven of us in the theater. It's a an, it's a beautiful little theater. I've seen it, too. Um, and that must be, that's the guy, Tull, who owns part of the, does he own part of the Steelers? These the Hollywood, um, Producer kind of person who fell in love with Pittsburgh and lives here now. Tall, <laughs> and I guess he's got some. I don't know if it's all his, but there's this theater in Sewickley, and uh, so it is there in Sewickley, right in town. And uh, it's we even got the times here from Barbara: at 1:45 and 4 o'clock today and uh and they're doing Babette's feast uh tonight at six thirty play a lot of you know, the same kind the kind of films you the you know the big guys don't in other words, they do really good stuff as opposed to the sh that you see in regular theaters okay, thanks Barbara that's good and Brooke says, "Oh, kill me." Brooke, Lynn, you started out your story about the scarf saying you didn't want to get caught wearing the same clothes two days in a row. If you've ever viewed a chronological list of your videos on YouTube, no, I haven't. You would get a sense of your wardrobe rotation. By the way, these videos below, and she's got them posted, Brooke, showed up on my Pittsburgh City Paper webpage today. The first two show you in the same blouse. Yeah, 5 days apart. Maybe I wore one on like a Thursday and then the next one on t- I don't know. God, that's a hideous picture of me. And um but the picture on the right, given your expression, should be your profile picture. Yeah, here's what I, it looks like I'm about it's Yeah. Yeah. No, I avoid looking at videos of myself. I avoid I, you know, after believe me. You just went off the air, somebody said. You seeing that? Anybody else? I'm going to keep going just in case we are still there. At least for little Tony, we just went off the air. If I get anybody else, I'll let you know. You're okay? Okay. Little Tony, it's your problem, I guess. I don't know. Uh. So, I'm sorry. uh, That always throws me when somebody says I'm not on the air. But apparently we are. Okay. There's a headline that says it all. I mean, how? I, I, I now am sort of embarrassed to be um, a white person. And actually, I'm embarrassed to be a human. Because all it takes is a headline like this. Humans, this is USA Today. Humans destroyed 83% of all wild animals. Uh, So, if there's a rogue gallery of serial killers, hey guys, we're number one. 83% of wildlife mammals killed by us. That is hard to take in. And um, I will just give you a little... um, Okay, uh, Chris is telling me, I was off YouTube for a minute, but I hit the refresh button and you came back up. And Milt says, I'm okay. And Barbara says, I'm there. So I don't know what it is. Anyway, I'm just going to assume some of you are out there. See, this is the kind of... um, This is a report out of Israel's uh, uh, Wiseman Institute of Science. And uh, it's a census of life on Earth. And it has found that 83% of all wild mammals have vanished since human beings came into existence we've just destroyed everything okay so some people are having to refresh something did there was a glitch of some sort apparently um and what they say here's how here's how we did it besides you know just willy-nilly killing taking um for the you know for our own needs or desires, more, more than needs half the time. Uh, so as human beings increased uh, demand for more livestock, for our hungry tummies, um, and if you're looking at a census of all the mammals on Earth, um, and I think that takes us out of, they're not counting us, other mammals other than us. 60% of all the mammals now on earth are livestock. Um, farmed poultry now makes up 70% of all birds on earth. And listen to this. Just 4% of all mammals today are alive in the wild. Wow. So the study, okay, we're getting a lot more people who said they lost me for a minute. Okay. Refresh, reopen, although if I'm telling that to people who haven't refreshed and reopened, then you know they ain't hearing it anyway, so I'll just forget about it. I, who the hell knows what that was about? Uh, just four percent of all the mammals on this earth today are alive in the wild. And so, having done some driving. Uh, last weekend seeing all the roadkill (laughs) oh we continue to knock them off one way or the other and so the study just showed the radical ecological effect of us uh and yet, if you look at all the life in the world, including us, do you know what percentage of living things so i'm not I'm talking insects things uh, water uh, creatures and um, insects and um, yeah, humans make up a measly of all life on Earth. So, wow. Think of that. We're such a tiny part of all the life that, most of which we pay no attention to whatsoever, kill constantly. 0.01% is what we make up, and yet we destroy so much. So humanity, which constitutes just a speck of all living things on earth, has an extraordinary outsize impact. Yay, yes. Through whaling, we've helped decimate 80% of all marine animals. Half of all plants on Earth have been lost. God, we're disgusting. Okay, so let's do some other stuff. Um, Here's something I thought that was ironic, I guess. I don't know. A woman named Charlotte Fox. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of her. Charlotte Fox uh, It was one of the few mountain climbers who survived a disaster on Mount Everest back in uh, 1996. <coughs> um, they were trapped in a blizzard, unable to make their descent. Uh, hurricane force winds, forty degree below zero temperatures out of oxygen frostbitten unable to move she just crunched herself into a fetal position and waited to die and um, she didn't whole bunch of others did she somehow survived it and and survived another a, a lot of i mean she she was somebody who went in for extreme uh stuff the first american woman to climb three mountains at altitudes of 8000 meters or higher first american woman to summit uh the biggest mountain in pakistan in 94 um and on and on and on her husband uh was killed because he too was somebody who was into heavy duty sports i guess no i don't think they ever married long time boyfriend he died uh in an avalanche so this is a woman who lives on the edge charlotte fox She's now dead. And do you know how she died? She fell down the steps at her house. Unbelievable. 61 years old. No one knows exactly how it happened. Foul play is not suspected. Suspected. And she was just found at the bottom of a long flight of uncarpeted steps at her home in Colorado last week. It's unbelievable. And um, so I, I don't know what to say about that. Oh yeah, so her longtime boyfriend died in an avalanche, her husband, I'm sorry, died in a paragliding accident. What is it with some people that they they need to live that much on the edge? Man, their their need for adrenaline must be unbelievable. Uh I am so much the opposite. It's a joke, but I I can't even imagine and then meets her and in a household accident and when she was asked about um, how what was in her head when she curled up on Mount Everest assuming she would die wanting to die actually she was in such agony she said the last thoughts that she remembered was, I th- she said, I thought, well, old girl, it's been a good ride. No regrets. No. There you go. Weird, huh? As long as I'm on obits. <laughs> you know how sometimes it, Dick Tuck, what a name, Dick Tuck. It sounds like the name of a troublemaker, and he was. Cause I guess Tuck reminds me of Puck. Dick Tuck. Anyway, he's dead at ninety four. He was uh Richard Nixon's nemesis for uh <laughs> forever. I mean forever. Uh, what he was was a, pr- a political prankster. Uh, to Nixon, obviously they were dirty tricks, but they never approached illegality. <laughs> so Dick Tuck tormented Richard Nixon throughout his career, and and was rewarded by when the when the White House tapes that you know Nixon had uh, recorded everything in the Oval Office. When those tapes came out, Dick Tuck had the, uh, the, the wonderful experience of actually hearing uh, Richard Nixon essentially praise him. And uh, what does he say? Let me get the Nixon. Oh, here's Nixon on the tapes is heard saying, Tuck did that and got away with it. Shows you what a master Dick Tuck was. So Nixon, although he was tormented by the stuff Tuck did to him, <laughs> had an appreciation of what he did to for uh, to him. I mean, Tuck did when 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 Nixon was running uh, for the U.S. Senate in out of California. Uh, Tuck was a uh, college student, and this is when he first decided to, like, mess with Nixon. And what he did was he volunteered to work for uh, the Nixon campaign. And he told Nixon, hey, you know what, I'm going to put together a... an event for you, and um, you know, gave him the said he was getting this big auditorium uh, that seats 2,000 people, and gave him the date and told him when to show up. But what he did after he secured this 2,000-seat venue is he, oh, I guess forgot to publicize the event. So he orders this up, tells Nixon, be there. I don't know how the 23 people who did show up found out about it, but 23 people in a 2,000-seat venue showed up to hear Nixon. And um, Tuck introduced him (laughs) and apparently did this long-winded introduction... And then said, and now, Mr. Nixon, we would appreciate it if you would speak on international monetary policy. Totally screwed Nixon. I mean, Nixon, you can imagine, he goes into this huge thing. There's a spattering of people in it. And that was Dick Tuck's first um, you know, attempt to, to rile uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, He never broke into anything. He didn't do illegal wiretaps. He didn't launder money. Uh, He didn't engage in, uh, you know, felonious cover-ups. But he always called his things benign mischief, Uh, such as, let's see, after the first Kennedy-Nixon the televised debate, which we've all, you know, seen uh, how Nixon didn't come off looking well, uh, he didn't have makeup, he was sweating, uh, Kennedy looked, you know, hot, charming, and it's been, uh, you know, been talked about and written about that anybody who heard the debate on the radio, hands down, said Richard Nixon won it. And anybody who saw it thought John Kennedy <laughs> won it, thus showing the importance of right uh television to perhaps obscure truth or to hoodwink us into being you know off put by a some certain look of this this one doesn't I don't like the way he looks. You like the way that one looks, give him the benefit of the doubt, and anybody watching thought that handsome, young John Kennedy one. Um, But the day after, Dick Tuck had paid a woman to, she was an elderly woman, had paid an elderly woman who he gave this big Nixon button, So she had a big Nixon button on and he paid her to to sidle up to Nixon at um, at an appearance he was making in Memphis, Tennessee the next day. And she managed to get right up to him and she hugged him and cooed at him as the television camera's, We're turning, that's all right, Sonny. Kennedy beat you last night, but don't worry, you'll get him next time. (laughs) I almost feel sorry for Nixon. I do. So some of the other things Tuck did is (laughs) there was one time, I don't know if it was Nixon. Was it Nixon? He some candidate that he was bedeviling was giving i think it was nixon was uh you know speaking uh from the back of a of a train which you know was something that politicians had done for a long time people would come to the the train station and the train would come through and they'd give a speech and then it would go on to the next town and do the same thing all over again and um Tuck uh, at one of these kinds of uh, stops, he uh, he put on a um, a hat that made him look like a I guess a conductor or something, and he waved as Nixon is starting to speak. He waved. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and further and the, and the the train uh, you know pulls out. Yeah, stuff like that. And every time he did it, Nixon, Nixon started to, I mean, obviously, no. That damn Tuck, he's done it again. Um, at Republican rallies, Tuck would, who knows how, have the band strike up, Happy Days Are Here Again. Oh, God, I can't carry a tune. Which was, of course, FDR's, it's a Democratic um, uh, song. And uh there was another Republican rally where Lyndon Johnson balloons started like coming down from from the sky. Um he had uh, a guy uh in a fire chief uh helmet uh underestimating crowd sizes at Nixon's events for <laughs> reporters. Um, it's not Says buses pulled out early, trains made unscheduled stops, placards in foreign languages bore bore uh, miscreant messages. Uh, he just couldn't stop. He he, by the way, was a Marine in World War Two. I guess he had a serious side as well. And in fact was an unexploded bomb disposer. So he I guess he did like yeah. Playing with fire. Yeah. He credited with waving a train out of a station in uh California as Nixon spoke to a crowd from the rear platform. Uh and he became a, a uh, press aide to Robert Kennedy when Kennedy was running in the '68 for the '68 presidential nomination, and uh, was right near him in the room in the hotel when he was assassinated. So. Okay, now what do we got? Uh, Ben Rhodes, who served with uh, Barack Obama as his deputy uh, national security uh, advisor for years and a trusted uh, compatriot, who was pretty much at Obama's side through most, uh, I guess, all of Obama's presidency, has a book coming out. Um, And in the book, little excerpts are starting to drip out. The World As It Is is the title of it. And he says that Obama, after Trump was elected, was absolutely shaken. Uh, He said emotionally he went through all kinds of uh, stuff, uh, criticizing himself, wondering what the hell he could have done, uh, wondering if he had somehow been president at the wrong time it was ahead of the game should have been 10-20 years maybe later I mean it just made him uh, engage in a lot of self-doubt wondering whether he had in fact given himself too much credit had misjudged his impact on American history if the American people could have Gone from him to Donald Trump. Um, and a lot of what he talks about is Obama's conundrum of what to do, knowing that the intelligence agencies were telling him that the Russians were messing around with the election that they were putting out a lot of you know, false stuff, that they were clearly trying to get Hillary. And Obama didn't know what to do because he rightfully figured that if he came out as president and said, hey, the Russians are trying to uh, impact the election, for uh, that he would be viewed as attempting to um, have an impact on the election, which he would not have wanted to do, so what he eventually did is he authorized his um aides uh no to i i guess he authorized the uh CIA or the FBI, one of them, someone in the intelligence agencies, uh, and this is a month before the election, so this would have been in October 2016, he authorized them to draw up a statement uh, warning of Russian interference in the election, but he said, we, I do not want it put out if we don't get Mitch McConnell and Republican leadership to sign off on it so this doesn't look partisan, like it's coming from the Obama intelligence agencies, which is, of course, what the Republicans would have said. And do you know Mitch McConnell refused, refused to go along with the intelligence agencies making such a statement. And Obama, I mean, Rhodes quotes Obama as saying, if I speak out, Trump will just say it's rigged and he'll have more... Ammo to say, see, that's rigged, it's rigged. And it says that Obama did not impose sanctions on Russia for the meddling before the election because it believed it might prompt Moscow into actually hacking into Election Day vote tabulations. He was afraid. He just felt like whatever he did, he might beget something worse. He said Obama was in shock when Trump won and he quotes him as saying no he doesn't, this is Rhodes saying I couldn't shake the feeling that I sh- I should have seen it coming. We all should have seen it coming because when you distilled it, stripped out the racism, the misogyny, we had run against Hillary eight years earlier with the same message Trump used. And that was she's part of a corrupt establishment that can't be trusted to bring change. And there they are thinking, we did the so-called impossible by beating her. Why would we not imagine that he could do the same? And he also goes on to say that Trump, that o- Obama said this. Well, I don't know. Maybe this is what people want. I've got the economy set up well for him. Hmm. No facts, no consequences. They can just have their cartoon president. And he said, We are about to find out how resilient our institutions are. Yeah. Oh my God. Milton, thank you. I didn't know. Barbara Ludorowski. And I never I'm sorry, I don't know I'm not sure I'm I never heard it said. Ludorowski or Lodorowski? Lodorowsky? Uh, She is the uh, founder of uh, the Extraordinary uh, Mattress Factory here. It doesn't make mattresses. The Mattress Factory Museum uh, here. And uh, she died last night. No, I didn't see this. It didn't make the paper. I I just looked at the, the paper. I'm sorry. And I thank you for sending it to me, Milton. I'd like to share it. Um, She turned a dilapidated industrial building into an internationally recognized contemporary art museum and spearheaded the revitalization of the Mexican War Street neighborhood on the North Shore. She died Wednesday night at her home on the sixth floor of the museum. She was 88 years old. She told Pittsburgh Quarterly Magazine, I had, truthfully, I had no vision for the museum. I wanted an intellectual community. When I look back on it, I'd say that was my desire. A community. Eating, drinking, and doing the work. And it's worked out in a far better way than I ever could have thought. Um, She went to... Carnegie Tech, now Carnegie Mellon, but left because it didn't feel right to her. Uh, She married, gave birth to a daughter, worked as a designer at General Motors, sculpted, painted. And in 1972, five years after her husband had died, she traveled to Pittsburgh because she had a project she wanted to pitch to the Pittsburgh History and Landmarks Foundation, and they weren't interested. (laughs) But they did take her on a tour of the North Side, and she got hooked. She was living in Michigan at the time. She sold her house, moved uh, with her 10-year-old daughter to a condemned property on the Mexican War Streets, in the Mexican War Streets, and proceeded to make it livable using sweat, And skill. And then she purchased the abandoned Stearns and Foster mattress warehouse on Samsonia Way. That was in 1975. And again, she wanted to create some kind of intellectual community. She moved in, she used it as a living space, studio space. And uh, she gave other artists studio space there, theater, a food co-op. And it just kept evolving. And in 1977, the Mattress Factory was established. Um, Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, I don't know. um, I mean... At times she has been perceived as gruff. That's certainly the way she looked to me. She scared me. I don't think I ever talked to her. She just scared me. The way she looks scared me. <laughs> she, yes, I'm, I'm easily scared, believe me. She had been perceived as gruff, but that arises not from being mean, but being cerebral. The museum strives to inspire dialogue that opens minds to a critique of daily life and culture. Asked her age last year, she wouldn't say. What does it tell anybody, she said. She grumped. At this moment, it's 87. While she's bristled in years past when asked about retirement, She shared her preferences for funeral plans with uh, the Post-Gazette. I want to be cremated. I want my ashes dispersed on Roden Crater, which is a monumental land art project in the Arizona desert. Or, if you can't do that, over the ocean, which is as good a place as any. I don't want any gooey, sentimental memorial service. And then I want some huge celebration as a fundraiser for the Mattress Factory with a big ticket. It will be for my friends and my enemies who will like to celebrate my termination. No way will I let some funeral director touch me. Wow. Formidable woman formidable woman. Thank you. Um, Barbara says, it's me again. Turned TV on this morning at 7 and saw a delightful segment on Morning Joe with Dolores Kearns Goodwin, whose husband, as you'll recall, recently died. When asked to relate an interesting story about her husband, speechwriter Richard Goodwin, she chose instead to comment on the fact that people like her husband, who graduated first in his class from Harvard Law, chose to enter public service, a very noble profession at the time. She also commented on the fact that President Lincoln, although a great debater and master of argument, would never speak extemporaneously. He wanted to make sure he knew what he was talking about. She was funny when she imitated the Texan drawl of President Johnson telling Everett Dirksen that 200 years from now, two people would still be famous in history books. Abraham Lincoln and Everett Dirksen. Aww. She was commenting on the way the Congress used to work and get things done, like the Civil Rights Act that passed in the 60s. Just delightful. Everett Dirksen, for those of you who are young maybe or can't quite place him, was... He was Speaker of the House, right? When... I might be wrong about that. When Johnson was... Majority leader of the Senate? Anyway, Dirksen was this real wondrous character when Republicans were honorable and when they did engage in uh, bipartisanship and when they moved things along, even progressive legislation. Wow. Little Tony says, Lynn, it's not just you. The photo of her, Barbara Lodorowsky, on the Post-Gazette website scared the heck out of me. (laughs) There's just something. I never saw her smile. There's a woman you wouldn't say. Hey, come on now, smile. She was something. And then she lived with that much younger man, whose name I couldn't pronounce if you uh, made me. And he, I think, pretty much runs the museum. But they lived together forever. They were a couple. But my God, he had to have been thirty years younger than her, didn't he? Wasn't he? I don't. I often wondered about their relationship. Who the hell wouldn't? And um. And yeah, I she scared me. But uh, pretty. A, r- a remarkable uh, woman, remarkable life, and um, I'm poorer for never having gotten over my fear and perhaps approached her. I want to quickly share with you something very unsettling, because God forbid I should let you go without scaring the hell out of you. Um, and the Calif- California primary is on Tuesday, and as you know, California is as blue as a blue state gets, and yet. Uh, and, and a lot of Republicans there have uh, said they're not going to bother seeking reelection. Uh, and so Democrats figure that they would pick up as many as five, I think, congressional seats in uh, just out of California. They're expecting another possible five out of Pennsylvania because of the reconfiguring uh, of the districts. And yet, California has this law that in a primary, the two people that go on to the general are the two top vote-getters. So in other words, if two Democrats are the two top vote-getters out of the primary, then there's no Republican in the general. There's two Democrats. It's whoever the most people want. Those are who goes ahead. And listen to what the Democrats have done in a lot of these districts a ton of them have come out wanting to be the Democrat. They have managed not to coalesce behind one candidate, consequently creating a situation where it is quite likely that there will be no Democrat on the ballot, even though it is now clearly going to be. These are all districts that Hillary Clinton won. And there is a very real possibility, because of people's egos, because of the Democratic Party's inability to manage anything, apparently, that these seats will go, that it's possible you'll get two Republicans in the general, and it will be a Republican seat. There is more than one district where that is a definite possibility. And there are places where the DNC said, this is our guy, and then the Democratic Senate Campaign Committee said, this is our guy, or the House Committee. and I mean, just absolute chaos. The article was in the Washington Post today. If you read it, you will be sick to your stomach. Just want to tell you that. Unbelievable. If there's a way for Democrats to do it, they are just geniuses at snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. There is no doubt. Really, have you, s- check it out. And um, I have to tell you, because uh, we're out of time, that I cannot be here tomorrow. Oh, you mean, Lynn, you're not going to show up and depress the hell out of us tomorrow? No, you'll have to do it for yourself. I'm sure you're quite capable. i um, I have to travel. And uh, I'll be back Monday. I promise. Okay? Have a good weekend. Have a good weekend. And uh, bye.
0: Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host... And do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.